Welcome to Nourish and Shine, where I talk with passionate leaders in the fields of nutrition, functional and integrative medicine, and wellness, providing inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and live a whole vibrant life starting now. Hey, this is Amy and Megan, and we had this wild idea that's now becoming a reality. We've created the Nourish Your Soul Retreat. If you're ready to give yourself the gift of turning inward in order to awaken all parts of you, to spend a day tapping into your creative feminine power, intuition, and nature, and learn how to fully embody your knowing and capacity for healing, this retreat is for you if you crave real connection with nature and other soulful women who are on a similar path to nourishing their mind, body, and soul. Join us for the Nourish Your Soul Retreat at the beautiful Twin Bluffs Farm in Stockholm, Wisconsin on September 7th, 2019 from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out the show notes for the link to our website and the full details. We hope to see you there. Welcome to Nourish and Shine. Today is such a fun episode for me. I love talking with other pharmacists, especially when it comes to vitamins and supplements. Today I'm talking with Dr. Eric McBride. He's a doctor of pharmacy and founder of Dr. Max Naturals, an all-natural vitamin and supplement company. He started Dr. Max Naturals because he felt that people really deserved better natural health products. Rather than using fillers and additives and under and overdosed ingredients, he wanted to make products that were formulated to include only clinically tested ingredients and in just the right doses. He also is really great about providing education and personalized support to help people feel confident and in control of their health and well-being. I loved talking with Eric on this episode, and I think there are so many valuable lessons in this episode or clinical pearls to share, and I hope you guys really, really enjoy this episode. Don't hesitate to send me your questions or feedback. I would love to hear from you. Welcome to Nourish and Shine, Dr. Eric McBride. He's a doctor of pharmacy and founder of Dr. Max Naturals, an all-natural vitamin and supplement company. Thank you so much, Eric, for being with me. I'm so excited to have you here. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about common misconceptions around vitamins and supplements. And I know there are plenty, so I'm excited <laughs> to do it. But first, I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I went to pharmacy school uh, in Northeast Ohio at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Um, from there, I started at Walgreens. I was a staff pharmacist for about six months at Walgreens, and then I got promoted to pharmacy manager, and I was the manager there for about two years. Um, and then from there, actually, CVS recruited me and me uh, to come over to their insurance side and work for them, working on their formulary. Um, for their silver script, their Medicare insurance side. And then since then, I think I, I stopped working there in about, I think 2017. Um, it was actually on my birthday in 2017, September 29th, and started taking on Dr. Max full time. Um, and it's something that I've always been passionate about was natural health care and finding a way that people could naturally take control of their well-being. Um, and so that was the perfect outlet for me. And it was kind of scary at first quitting my job. Um, 
you know, the security of the, the every two week paycheck and the benefits and all that to take on something full time. But when you enjoy doing something that much and when you feel uh, so much more fulfilled doing that, it's it was almost a no brainer for me that it was something that was worth taking the risk to try. That's awesome. I totally agree with that. And yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit more about your passion for natural health care? Like, how did all that start? And like, why why natural health? Sure. So it's funny. When people hear that I'm a pharmacist, they their first thought is, shouldn't you be pushing the pharmaceuticals? Isn't that your thing? And um, and I always tell people, <laughs> yeah, right. And I always tell people, absolutely. Look, I 100% appreciate and value the miracles that are pharmaceuticals they're great for the people that actually need them. The problem is most people really don't need them. They should be a last line of resort. And most people can take control of their well-being through changing their diet, exercising a little more, uh, making sure that they're supplementing with the proper vitamins, minerals, uh, and other nutrients that they need to ensure that their body is being nourished. And that realization um, kind of hit me when I was working full-time at Walgreens as the pharmacy manager and seeing all of the people that were coming in for, um, you know, for instance, their newly prescribed diabetes medication. And they would come to me and they would say, I don't, I don't know why I'm taking this. And I would ask, well, are you, you know, are you diabetic? Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? And they would say, well, my doctor said I was pre-diabetic, but I wasn't actually diabetic. And so then I would kind of educate them about what pre-diabetes is in relation to actual diabetes. And it's basically, um, for the listeners, it's basically that pre-stage, you're not quite diagnosed with diabetes yet. Um, And a lot of times people in kind of that gray area, that pre-diabetic zone, can change their diet, they can exercise more, and they can actually prevent them from going into that diabetic state. Sometimes you can't, sometimes it is hereditary, but most times you can actually take control of that just by changing your diet, cutting out um, sugary foods and fast food, things like that, exercising a little bit more. And when you tell people that, you kind of just see the light go off in their eyes. You know, you you see that light bulb uh, go off and they're like, really? You mean I don't have to take this for the rest of my life? And it's kind of just this this mind-blowing experience where you're basically telling people um, you don't have to be reliant on this prescription medication or kind of the traditional medicine for the rest of your life to control this. You can actually control this. You can take control of this. And when you tell people that, it, it you can sense that it empowers them and they feel um, they feel better. I mean, I've had people that have actually at my pharmacy counter broken down into tears because they realize that they can actually prevent the onset of diabetes or or any other uh, disease. But that's just the example I'm, I'm kind of rolling with now. But um, that and yeah, that so totally underscores like the importance of lifestyle intervention and also education, like providing and taking that time, which is impressive that you have the time to spend doing that because I think in our healthcare system today there's not enough time necessarily to all so true education and so 
not only do patients sometimes not even realize when they're starting a medication, like for diabetes or cholesterol or whatever, that like mm-hmm. it only works while you're taking it. And then <laughs> anything else, not, like right. take it for the rest of your life. But like you can change things and that can make it so that you actually don't have to take this medication. So right. that's a good point. Um, so this, perfectly leads into really my first question for you. So nowadays they call it the standard American diet or the sad diet. Oh gosh, it is sad, (laughs) isn't it? It is. But with people eating this way, is it even possible to get all your vitamins from your diet alone? So short answer would be no, um, or extremely, extremely difficult. Um, The problem with kind of our typical Western diet that most Americans eat now. And I'll actually even expand it a little more. Even people that are trying to eat better and control what's going into their bodies, even even they are falling short on their vitamins and minerals, um, meeting their minimum daily requirement for those vitamins and minerals. And it's for a whole bunch of different reasons. I mean, when you look at things like fast food, it is super convenient and I'm not, I'm going to be completely honest. It's about a 10th of the price of the healthier options. So I understand fully why people would just swing by a McDonald's or something on the way home from work. Um, but if there are any health benefits to that, they are quickly negated by all of the fat, the grease, the oils that are used in there. Um, And honestly, a lot of the times, a lot of the meat that they source is genetically modified. Um, There are a lot of kind of plumping ingredients in there. So nitrate is a big one that they'll they'll, uh, inject into the meat. And basically what that does is it draws a lot of water in. So it plumps up the patty. So it makes it look like it's a lot of food, but it's really no nutrition at all. It's almost like eating cardboard. (laughs) Um, But... So that's the obvious one. But even the people who actually take the time, maybe they only go to Whole Foods and things like that. They buy organic foods. Um, They're taking control. They're not eating gluten and they're trying to eat as diverse of a diet as they possibly can. Even they are lacking in a lot of vitamins and minerals. And it's very, very difficult to get all of your vitamins and minerals from your diet alone. And one of the reasons is if you just start with the actual soil that farmers are growing their produce on, that soil is extremely depleted of nutrients. So every time you replant in the same soil, it is at least half, sometimes even three-fourths less nutrient-dense than it was the previous time. So just the second time that a farmer plants, a, say, a tomato plant in the same spot, it's half as nutritious as the first plant. And a lot of people don't realize that, but the soil is actually where those that produce gets its nutrients, gets its minerals. And so one way that farmers can combat that is to add minerals, add nutrients to the soil, kind of replenish the soil itself but it's extremely expensive and time consuming. And so a lot of farmers will kind of forego that step for the sake of saving money and saving time. Um, They don't do it themselves or they don't want to hire someone else to come in. So that land is less fertile. And then secondly, 
a lot of farms uh, kind of that's how they make their money is by growing the biggest uh, crops as fast as they possibly can so they can get it into the stores as quick as they can. But the problem is when you shorten the lifespan of, say, you know, an ear of corn, when you put a bunch of uh, hormones and pump all kinds of uh, minerals to try and speed up the, the uh, growing time, what you do is you actually decrease the amount of time that you're allowing that corn in this particular instance or any produce to grow. And when you decrease that amount of time, you're actually decreasing the amount of vitamins and minerals, the, the vitamin and mineral profile that it's able to uh, accrue over its traditional lifespan. And so shortening that amount of time from seed to harvest actually decreases the amount of overall vitamins and minerals. And then from there, so the produce is harvested and it's actually got to travel from the farm to the grocery store. And sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be days, sometimes it can be weeks, it's even been months in a lot of instances. And over that whole entire time, it's losing minerals and vitamins and nutrition along the way. And so by the time it actually gets to the grocery store and you're actually picking it out, it's already been out of the ground for sometimes months and it's lost all of that nutrition along the way. And then, so if we look at the meat on the other side, um, a lot of the organic and even grass fed meat, they're still supplementing with a lot of different uh, minerals and vitamins and sometimes hormones and antibiotics. Um, the antibiotics kind of get a bad rap, I think, kind of a side note, but the antibiotics are great for keeping cattle from getting sick. Nobody wants to eat tainted meat. Um, so that kind of gets a bad rap. But as far as the nutrition goes, when you're trying, again, when you're trying to get that animal as big as you possibly can so that you can make as much money by selling it to the grocery store as you possibly can, you're not leaving enough time for that animal to develop the way that it should. And so then it's less nutrient dense. All of its meat is less nutrient dense than it should be. And then if you get into um, kind of really hot these days are the, I don't want to call them fad diets because a lot of people live by say like veganism, vegetarianism, ketogenic diet, things like that. Um, anytime you limit what certain types of food you're eating uh, and exclude certain types of foods, you're not balancing out your diet. And so you're missing out on a lot of, so for just for instance, people that are vegans typically are low on a lot of their B vitamins because they're not getting that from meat and meat is a really great source of B vitamins. So unless you're supplementing with B vitamins, you're typically very B vitamin deficient and that can lead to all kinds of energy issues, immune function issues, uh, cognitive issues. And so the most important thing is making sure that you're eating a very diverse, um, very colorful diet. So the more color you can add in there, the more greens and um, oranges, orange, anything orange contains a lot of beta carotene, which is pro-vitamin A. Um, vitamin A is great for a lot of things from skin health, liver function, immune function. And so really trying to be as diverse with your diet as you possibly can and realizing that even if you are as diverse as you possibly can be, 
and eating enough of those healthy foods and avoiding the uh, fast food, you're still typically going to have some gaps in your nutrition. Totally. I think you brought up a lot of important points there. And one thing I, I always think about in our little farm community about is like the importance of kind of the small farmers and how they're often very thoughtful about crop rotation and how they yes. grow lands and also like buying locally. So like hitting up the farmer's markets instead of going and getting stuff that's been shipped from super far away, I think is a really, really good way to try to up like the nutrient density of your food. And then when it comes to meat, I think, you know, you mentioned like being careful about potentially antibiotics. Um, but also like, I think grass fed is huge, but knowing like how they're doing it, isn't it like an industrial meat production or is it like, again, like a fairly local farmer that the animal is like outside in a natural environment, eating natural things all day long, like exactly huge, huge difference there. And like the nutrient density is so different. So, um, we had a really good episode with Together Farms that talked kind of all about that. But yeah, I definitely think you you highlight so many important points there. Um, so for most people, like you said, a multivitamin is going to be key. What are some things people should look for when they're looking for a multivitamin? Yeah, so multivitamin is the, the best place you can start with your nutrition, um, with supplementing your nutrition. It kind of just fills in any gaps that you might be lacking in your diet. And so a couple of things that you want to look for, um, you want to make sure that, so the first thing I guess I would say is a lot of times, um, a lot of companies will have um, a men's multivitamin, a women's multivitamin, a men over 30 multivitamin, a men over 40 multivitamin, a men over 50 multivitamin, all these different um, kind of subsets of multivitamins that people need. And really with that, I, I would just, caution people that a lot of that is marketing. So really, if you actually look at the physiology between a man that's 30 and a man that's 50, um, physiologically, their metabolic demands, the, the amount of vitamins and minerals that they need is actually extremely similar. So in a lot of instances, you don't need to pay the extra for the, you know, one a day, 50 plus you're totally fine with the kind of traditional or regular multivitamin. And in fact, I, as myself, as a, as a male, to actually take a quote-unquote female multivitamin. Um, and the reason for that is actually because women's multivitamins contain more calcium than men's multivitamins. Understandably so. Women, um, it's kind of marketed as women need more calcium because they are at higher risk for osteoporosis and they're childbearing and all of these things. And it's true hundred percent, but the problem is men need healthy bones too. Everyone needs healthy bones. And so I just caution people when you're looking for a multivitamin, um, don't look at the front of the label. It can be very misleading. Um, don't use that as your guide. You want to definitely use the supplement facts. You want to use the back of the label to make your decision. Um, and a, a precursor, I guess, to what I'm going to say is if you're in doubt, ask a healthcare professional, they would be more than happy to help you. If, if you go into any drugstore, walk up to the pharmacy counter, hand it to the pharmacist and say, what do you think? And they'll be more than happy to help you out. Um, but just, I guess, one big thing uh, to look for that I would strongly caution is 
actually check your calcium content. So you do need calcium, but the problem is uh, if, if a company adds too much calcium to their um, multivitamin, it can actually limit the absorption of other uh, vitamins and minerals in there. And it's actually a very common thing. You'll go through and you'll see a multivitamin with 100% of your daily calcium requirement. And everybody wants to check that box, right? They want to check all of those boxes. But that is one of the one of the biggest ones I would look for is make sure that your calcium is between 15 and 20% of your daily requirement so that you're not in, uh, inhibiting the absorption of other vitamins and minerals. I'm so glad you brought that up because when you <laughs> first said your multivitamin with calcium, I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no. It's such an important point. And I think it is really nice to be like, oh, I just take one and, you know, one vitamin has everything in there. But there is such a binding interaction that goes on with calcium and a lot of other things, even drugs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And to be able to actually absorb what you're taking versus just taking it and having it pass through you is a whole nother conversation. And we'll get into (laughs) it, but um, so super important. And I like that you point out that, you know, there's a lot of marketing going on with multivitamins. The one that I always see is women. um, So like the women's 50 plus or whatever, usually the biggest difference is iron for a menstruating female um, can be helpful. So taking iron in your multivitamin can be helpful versus Mm -hmm. after menopause, then, you know, you don't need that iron supplementation because you're not regularly bleeding. Right. Exactly. I think that's really important, but it's also not like a cutoff, not at 50. Everyone has menopause. So understand. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Understanding that like those again, marketing terms aren't necessarily specific to like, one, you know, aren't exactly accurate, I guess. So yeah, for sure. Talk with someone, um, to provide a little guidance can be super helpful. So how about mega dosing? This is kind of my pet peeve. So (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to talk about this. Why, why is it that we always like more is better, right? (laughs) Well, it's simple. If some is good, more is better, right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, right? I know. I kind of feel like that. <laughs> no, so that's, yeah, that's extremely common. And I know, yeah, as a pharmacist, you're extremely uh, perturbed by that as well. Um, so, so many times, and actually, I'll give an actual real world example, but basically, what will end up happening is a company will see that maybe vitamin X is uh, very, very popular in the world today. And so they'll, they'll want to put a ton of vitamin X in their, uh, whatever it is, multivitamin or their supplement so that they can put on their label contains 10,000% of your daily recommended value. And then consumers see that and they're like, Oh, wow, that's gotta be the best thing ever. And in reality, it's not. And the best example, the absolute best example I can think of is biotin. And this always, uh, there's inevitably always someone that hears this or that's listening that has this exact thing in their medicine cabinet. Um, A lot of what you'll see today is biotin, 10,000 micrograms per capsule or 5,000 micrograms per capsule. And when you're looking at a a vitamin shelf and you see this supplement has, you know, this biotin supplement has 300 micrograms. And this one has 10,000 micrograms. 
well, of course, you're going to gravitate toward that 10,000 microgram, right? I mean, it's a little more expensive, but it's definitely a better supplement, right? But when I actually tell you that your body at any one given time can only really absorb about 300 to 320 micrograms of biotin at a time, and anything above that, you just end up urinating out, then you start to look at that 10,000 microgram one and go, oh, I see what you're doing there. Okay. So there is no, no harm in taking 10,000 micrograms of biotin other than to your bank account, I guess. Um, it's a, what's called a water soluble vitamin. And there's a difference between water soluble and fat soluble, uh, vitamins and we can get into it. Like that's kind of in the weeds, but, um, but anyway, with it being a water soluble vitamin, anything in excess of what your body can actually absorb, you just end up peeing out. So no harm, no foul, but you really don't need to be paying for that 10,000 micrograms. And it's the greatest marketing play ever because nobody knows that unless you're a healthcare professional or unless you ask a healthcare professional, there's just no way that any consumer would be able to know that and discern between the two. They would just automatically gravitate toward the 10,000 microgram dose. Yeah, totally. And that's, I told you this before we started, but I had a professor when I was in uh, my undergraduate nutrition training and he said, you know, the most expensive urine you'll ever find is in the gym. And I feel absolutely like true because people really interested in wellness are really looking to do whatever they can and oftentimes are buying these vitamins that are a little over the top as far as mega dosing goes. And one thing I've been reading about lately, which I, I think is super interesting, is that, you know, so you mentioned fat soluble. So your fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, like we know you can get too much. Um, they stick around longer, but the B vitamins that are water soluble, we always had said like, yeah, no, you can't really get too much, but there's actually some evidence coming out now that like you can get too much, especially mm -hmm. in some of the people with like MTHFR mutations and who aren't like methylating well, there's a whole yeah. go down with folic acid, but like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> That's a whole separate podcast, but I think it's important that, you know, just to highlight more, it's not always better. So I'm glad. Correct. <laughs> um, another, another really important thing I wanted to talk about, because I see this constantly in the pharmacy, is now there's like gummy everything. What are your oh my gosh. whole gummy rage and like formulating in <clears throat> capsules or tablets or whatever? Yeah, so gummy, so... Right off the bat, let's let's address the elephant in the room. Gummy <laughs> vitamins are delicious, right? <laughs> like they're amazingly delicious. I get it why everyone loves to take them. Um, they're so good. But if you actually stop to think, well, why is this actually delicious? <laughs> and the reason is because it's candy. You know, there's so much sugar and uh, high fructose corn syrup and extra glucose that's added to those so that they taste great. Um, but that's actually, I mean, if you just think about someone that has prediabetes or diabetes and they're trying to keep their blood sugar in check and they're taking their vitamins and they're thinking, oh, I'm being so healthy. I'm taking all of my vitamins and they're all gummy because they're amazing. And then they're wondering why their sugars are out of whack when they test. There's your answer. Um, but even aside from that, if we just look at the actual absorption of those gummy vitamins versus say a capsule or a tablet. 
so if we kind of think of the dosage form, so the, the gummy, the capsule, the tablet as kind of the vehicle that helps to transport the vitamins, supplements, or minerals to where they need to go, to where they're being absorbed most, most times in the small intestine. Um, if you look at the gummy vitamin, for instance, you're actually breaking that vehicle apart uh, in your mouth when you chew. And so then all of those ingredients actually enter your stomach without any protection whatsoever. And you have, I mean, your stomach acid is incredibly powerful. And a lot of times it can um, degrade and destroy those ingredients before they ever even get to your small intestine where they're absorbed. Unlike, say, a capsule or a tablet that um, kind of gives a little bit of a protection to those ingredients while it's in the stomach, the stomach acid helps to break down that capsule or that tablet. And then when it gets to the small intestines, you're able to absorb the full amount or close to the full amount of those ingredients. Um, and so the gummy vitamins can, I mean, they can completely eliminate absorption in some instances, or at the very least cause wild um, fluctuations in the amounts that are absorbed uh, from those gummy vitamins and not even just supplement to supplement or brand to brand, but honestly day to day. So if you were to take those uh, gummy vitamins after a meal, when you've got really high stomach acid content, because you've got a lot of stomach acid in there trying to break down the meal you just ate, well, you're going to break down those ingredients as well. And so you're not going to get anywhere near as much as if you were to take that gummy vitamin on an empty stomach. And even then you're not getting as much as a tablet or a capsule. So everyone loves the, the gummy vitamins, um, but really they should be reserved for people that actually cannot swallow a tablet or a capsule or for children. Um, for that matter. And that's kind of where they started was for children. And then as adults started to eat them, they were like, oh yeah, these are amazing. Why don't they make my fill in the blank in gummy vitamin? And so where there's a, where there's a need, the market will take advantage, but <laughs> yeah, be cautious of the gummies. Yeah. And that's, I always worry, especially for children about um, overdose. And I know Iron overdose is one of the le leading um, causes of harm in young children. And so absolutely army vitamins that contain iron, that just scares the bejesus out of me. So I always try to tell parents, like, be extremely cautious. Make sure you talk to your children that this is not candy, although it tastes like it and looks like <laughs> it. <laughs> so that's one of my biggest fears with some of the gummies in children, not to mention, like, I was just looking at one on um, this past week, we were at a health screening. And we had some samples that were gummy vitamins and I was checking out the back and it was five grams of sugar per serving oh, for the gummy vitamins. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, yeah, I mean, that's a decent amount of sugar. And I mean, is it really worth it? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I think you brought up so many good points there. Um, so let's talk a little more about formulations. What are your thoughts sure. on the inactive ingredients? Cause this is something I could, Orally go down a rabbit hole on, but I know. I was gonna say, do you have do you have the time? <laughs> I know. So, first of all, even the term "inactive ingredients" sort of drives me crazy because I feel like most everything is you're putting it in your body is going to have some active. exactly. Um, but let's talk about like fillers and like the whole like gluten and lactose and sure. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, so inactive ingredients is, is kind of a misleading uh, term. Um, people think, it, oh, it's inactive. It's not doing anything. I'm, I'm 
my body, it's not affecting my body at all. I only need to worry about the active ingredients. But a lot of times the inactive ingredients can be as important as the actual active ingredients. So just going back, for instance, the gummy uh, multivitamins and gummy vitamins, you look at a lot of the inactive ingredients in air quotes, um, and it's all the sugars and the glucose and the high fructose corn syrup. And that actually has a physiological effect on your body, and it's a negative one. Um, now, not all inactive ingredients are bad or um, you know harmful to you. And a lot of times, if you look at the inactive ingredients, it really is just, you know, they're just listing kind of the ingredients that go into making the capsule or the tablet or the gummy. Um, and a lot of time, I mean, for instance, if you look at a capsule, you do need to make sure that that capsule is structurally, uh, structurally sound so that it can actively transport the ingredients where they need to go. And so a lot of times kind of the most, um, most common ingredient used for capsules is bovine collagen or gelatin. Um, and so if people see bovine collagen or gelatin, that's actually not really that bad. Now, if you're vegan, that's something that you would want to steer away from because it is not vegan friendly, um, not vegetarian friendly. But really, if you just look at the ingredient for what it is, it's really just collagen used to hold those ingredients together to get where they need to go. Now, when you look, when you start thinking about uh, tablets, for instance, tablets typically contain a lot more binders and fillers than um, say a capsule would. And the reason is for that is that everything needs to be held together. So when they make a tablet, basically they take all of the ingredients and then they take what are called binders. And there are a lot of different ones that are used. Um, every company, uh, it, it varies company to company, but there are a lot of different binders. And basically what that does is when they apply pressure to those ingredients and those binders, it holds everything together. And so I think binders and fillers typically get a bad rap. Um, a lot of companies will want to say no binders, no fillers. No. If it's used properly, again, it's just a way to get what needs to be uh, ingested where it needs to go. The problem really is, I guess, with fillers, um, when some companies will kind of pump up their formulations, uh, pump up their capsules, pump up their tablets to make it seem like there's a lot there but there's really there's really not it's a lot of um, cornstarch is a really big one so some companies will fill capsules with cornstarch um, and it it looks very impressive there's a lot in there and they can put that there's a lot in that capsule but really the cornstarch has zero effect um, zero effect on your body and you're just wasting money on that so I think caps I think um, Fillers and binders and all of that can get a bad rap, but I don't. I don't always think that they're that bad. I think they're kind of demonized a little bit, but you should definitely be aware of what those uh, binders and fillers are. And again, if you if you aren't 100% sure, or if you know Google is kind of sending you all kinds of different directions, then definitely take it to your pharmacist or take it to your physician and let them sort it out for you and. Um, kind of educate you on what's important and what's not. That's a really good point. And I think you said it perfectly. Basically, you know, sometimes the amount of actual active drug ingredient is very small. So they have to add some sort of fillers or, you know, um, other ingredients to bulk up the tablet to just make it fit in the capsule. 
Um, oh, right. For sure. Um, but as far as like, um, I think it's important too to point out like for people with gluten sensitivity or like intolerance to lactose, just being aware that those can be in capsules sometimes, I think yeah. it's really important. Um, and I have a lot of patients starting to ask about that as far as inactive ingredients and like, Hey, you know, I'm celiac or I'm gluten sensitive. Like, does this contain, um, gluten or like, Hey, I'm super lactose intolerant. And I just read an article. Mm -hmm. I think it was an older study actually, but talking about how much lactose is actually in a lot of prescription medications, um, oh, yeah. or like GI <laughs> thing, <laughs> so, like even like proton pump inhibitors, sometimes we'll have like 20 or more milligrams of lactose. And it's just interesting, especially in a population that may have lactose intolerance. So I think it's just worth like being mindful of, you know, like what's in there and thinking about it. So yeah, super good points you brought up. Um, as far as like optimizing absorption for vitamins and supplements, what do you recommend for people? Like how do you get the most from your vitamins or supplements? Yeah. So every vitamin is a little bit different and there are some that have kind of little niche or nuance to ways of increasing absorption. An example of that would be like iron, for instance, if you take iron alongside vitamin C, um, the vitamin C actually creates somewhat of an acidic environment in your stomach and it increases the amount of absorption of the iron. But by and large, when in doubt, um, if you're not sure and you want to try to increase the absorption of what you're taking, typically taking things like a multivitamin or other vitamins, minerals, along with a meal will actually increase absorption. Um, basically what it'll do is it, your body recognizes the meal starts to begin the digestion process. And when you add that vitamin or supplement um, to that whole process, your body's already in a digestive, um, a digestive rhythm and it's, it's able to break down the capsule easier or the tablet easier. It's able to absorb, it's, it's uh, actively absorbing vitamins and minerals from the food. And so it's a lot easier to absorb from the vitamin or the mineral supplement. Um, now, that's not to say all vitamins or supplements need to or should be taken with food. Um, but by and large, if you want to get the most out of them, taking them with food is typically um, a safe way to go. Yeah, totally agree. And that's a really broad question. <laughs> that, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think iron and vitamin C is a really good example of that. And, you know, like the fat-soluble vitamins too, like taking them with fat. Mm -hmm. So, um, as far as the supplement industry goes, and this is a big question too, can we talk about regulation here and like how yeah, definitely. different than drugs? Sure. So if we look at, so that's one of the biggest questions that I get, um, is how are these regulated or these FDA approved these, you know, and so if we look at a prescription medication, a prescription medication actually has to be approved by the FDA before um, it can be distributed to consumers, to patients. Um, with the vitamin and supplement industry, it actually, any vitamin or supplement doesn't actually need to go through the FDA to get onto the shelf. Now, the FDA does have the power after the fact to pull anything off of the shelf or take anything off the market that they deem to be harmful or misleading to, to uh, customers. But in terms of actually getting products into customers' hands, there actually is no FDA approval needed. 
And honestly, as a pharmacist, that is one of the things that scares me. Um, I would constantly be asked, well, what do you think about this uh, supplement or this vitamin or this company or this? And honestly, my biggest question would be, what's in it? What's, is, is what they say is on the label actually in there? Um, is how much that they say is in there actually in there? What's the quality? What testing has been done? What's the effectiveness? And without any kind of guidance for us as healthcare professionals from the FDA, without any studies to look at, any trials, any approval from them, it's really hard to discern what's actually a quality product. And unfortunately, a lot of times products get onto the market um, and then, you know, a few years later, the FDA yanks them off of the market because people have been injured or people have died actually taking those products. So it's a really um, scary thing. And I think a lot of people, when they actually find out that there is no FDA um, approval to get onto the market for vitamins and supplements, it, it kind of rubs them the wrong way. And I think maybe it should. Um, so I, I would love to see a regulatory body actually test and approve products before they reach the market. Um, but unfortunately that takes a lot of man hours and a lot of money. And for right now, they're, uh, very reluctant to do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important you bring up like after it hits the market is really when action can be taken. So exactly altered or misbranded, then the FDA can go after it. But a lot of that relies on like consumer reporting of adverse effects too. And, oh yeah. And that always, you know, people don't always know that that's important to do or, you know, that there's even a method to do that. And I know um, the U.S. Health and Human Services has a safety reporting portal that you can yeah. use things, but um, I would imagine. Yeah, the FDA does as well. So, and that's another thing is that, that I always tell people is there's no reaction too small to report. Um, the FDA is trying to gather as much data as they can on all of this stuff. And I mean, if you just get, you know, a rash or something like that, definitely report it and let because honestly, a lot of the companies aren't trying to pull one over on you or to try and do anything uh, mischievous. And they, they want that feedback. A lot of companies I know that I've talked to, they check those reports and they go and they investigate why that happened at their company. And they want that feedback so that they can make better products and um, not harm anyone in the future. So any any adverse effect that anyone experiences, definitely report it. There's no adverse effect too small to report. That's such a good point. And I love that that's your take on it because I know a <laughs> manufacturer, like, yeah, you could probably go either way on that. But I think it's really important and says a lot about your company that you feel that way. So that's definitely. Well, that's the funny thing is I kind of uh, take more of a pharmacist's approach to it than like, a, I guess, like a business approach to it. Um, and it's funny, like I'll actually recommend products that aren't even our products. Like if, if there's something we don't carry, <laughs> I will, yeah, like I'll, like I just want, I want people to be healthy. I want people to be able to take control of their health. And so, um, you know, maybe someone looks at one of our products and they go, ah, yeah, but it's a little pricey. I can find it cheaper, you know, at this place or something. I'm like, you know what? I'll take a look into it for you. I'll email you and let you know what I think of the product. If it's a great product go for it 100% because it's going to help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That says a lot. That's huge. That's, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, that brings up a good point. And let's talk about quality because sure. quality is a big issue. And I think um, 
often underappreciated as often value is uh, considered first over quality. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how people discern what is a quality product? Like what are some things you should look for? Sure. So one big thing you can look for um, if you're not able to actually talk to a, a medical professional about a specific product um, or if you don't have someone that's willing to actually dig into any research or anything for you. One thing you can do when you're kind of just perusing the vitamin supplement aisle is you can actually look for vitamins and supplements that have the USP seal of approval. And the USP is the United States Pharmacopeia. And basically what they are is they're a third party that will do testing on different products. Basically the manufacturer of the product sends that product to the USP. They'll do all the testing, quality, purity testing, um, and then basically verify that what the manufacturer says is in the bottle is actually in the bottle and within their allotted allowances of um, error. And so that's a great way that you can be certain that what they say is on the label is actually in each capsule. Um, so as a pharmacist, that's definitely one of the number one things that I tell people is look for that little USP seal of approval. If not, you always want to try to go with uh, a reputable company or a company that um, you're able to have a, uh, a little bit of research on. Um, maybe you have a healthcare professional that can help you discern uh, if a company is legitimate, if a product looks good, if the dosing in a product looks good. And honestly, Google is great, um, but the problem with Google is for every yes, you'll find a no. For every one, you'll find a zero. And so it can be really hard to kind of sift through there and find out, oh, is this really good? Or how much of this do I actually need? So I would, I would caution people to be weary of what they read on Google. Um, if, you, if that's all you have, if that's the only research source you have, at least read a few of the different search results and don't just take what the first one says as gospel. Um, and yeah, just be diligent, do your research on the company, look at the company's website. It's a lot of times it's really easy to tell on a company's website um, just from the transparency of the website. So do they have access to be able to communicate with them? Um, do they, are you able to actually read about the company and about maybe, maybe even the, the founder or people high up in the company, read about them. And then honestly, email them and see what they have to say. Email them, ask them your questions. If they don't give you satisfactory answers or if they seem like um, they're not there to help you, be cautious of that. Yeah, great point. And I love, I use Consumer Labs a lot too. Yeah, definitely. Test everybody, but I think even finding a professional or going there yourself um, and checking out Consumer Labs, I think they even have a label now um, that they're putting on some products that they're testing. And basically just like third-party independent testing can be another mm -hmm. really great source. But USP is kind of like the gold standard, I think. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's kind of the top one. But yeah, there are definitely a lot of them that are coming along. And basically, if you see any of those um, tags or, or stamps on labels, Google it. And if, it, if it's you know Consumer Reports or USP or anything like that, you're good to go. Yeah. And I think 
another thing I always like to point out here, and this is just the pharmacist in me, right? But like the <laughs> quality seals don't really ensure that it's safe or effective. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. What are you talking about like what's in there is supposed to be in there. That doesn't mean it works or it's the right dose or anything else really. Right. But at least it's not containing hopefully any undisclosed drug ingredients or stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, um, all right, man, we've covered a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like just a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Um, I know you guys have some products that are awesome that have combination products that have, um, different herbal ingredients in there. What do you tell people as far as if they're taking other prescription medications, how do you stay safe taking like a combination herbal product along with, uh, prescriptions? Yeah, so as a precaution, I would always say before you add any new therapies, whether they're natural or prescription, anything like that, make sure that your doctor or your pharmacist has a full list of your what you're taking and you run it by them first. That's, that's always the safe, cautious thing. Um, a lot of people think that just because something is all natural or it's herbal or plant-based, that there is no interaction. There's there's no chance of it interacting with any other prescriptions or any other disease states or any other herbals that they're taking. But the reality is a lot of these herbal supplements, a lot of the all natural supplements actually do have physiological effect on your body and they will interact with some prescription drugs or some disease states, for instance. So as a precaution, I would always say before you begin any new therapy, definitely run it by your doctor or your pharmacist. Your pharmacist typically, um, you know, if you go to multiple doctors, it can be a little bit hard for them to have a full uh, grasp on what medications you're taking. But typically, if you get all your prescriptions filled at the same pharmacy, they'll be able to look through your entire medication list, go over it with you, and then recommend things to you or recommend staying away from different natural products um, that may interact. And they would be able to explain to you why that interaction is there. Um, And then another thing is, I think a lot of people uh, don't realize that they may have allergies that that natural product can actually cause a sensitivity to. So a big, just off the top of my head, a big one would be uh, people that are allergic to shellfish. A lot of the joint pain uh, products out there uh, and joint mobility products out there contain D-glucosamine, which is actually derived from shellfish. so, and, and even though it is FDA required, uh, there, I have definitely seen a lot of those labels that do not have any allergen information on there. Um, so if you have any severe allergies, if you're taking any prescription medications, if you're taking any other herbal medications, or if you have any disease states, absolutely run everything by your healthcare provider so that they can check everything and make sure that there's uh, no interactions. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up so many good points there. And I think (laughs) underscore like natural doesn't always mean safe and herbs are really powerful medicine. And I think that that needs to be appreciated. Um, Absolutely. Be amazing. I know you mentioned like one of your popular supplements is for like stress and anxiety and herbs can be so powerful for treating that, but also there's totally drug interactions possible. So absolutely. 
again, making sure people know what you're on. And I love that you point out, go to one pharmacy because yes. it's so hard when people are just all over the place and then they're like, oh, do I have any drug interactions? But I have questions <laughs> at like 10 different places. And so, right. you know, it's really, really helpful if you go to one place and your pharmacist actually really knows you. Um, and Absolutely. And I think another thing is don't be afraid to ask your pharmacist. I can tell you from experience and from talking to every pharmacist I know, they want you to ask questions. They want to meet you. They want to know your name. So that little consultation window at your local pharmacy, anytime you have a question, that is always open. It is always open. And I can guarantee you the pharmacist would rather you come to them and ask them and them be able to educate you and answer any questions that you have than for you to just grab something and think that you're bothering the pharmacist or whatever um, and not ask them. So definitely take advantage of that free resource. No appointment required. (laughs) I love that. Yep, absolutely. Such an important point. Um, So in wrapping things up, I'd love to know, what does the term nourish mean to you? Nourish to me, so that's a really big word. So I think uh, nourishing your mind, your body, your soul, What that basically means to me is making sure that all of the puzzle pieces um, to complete your health are there and making sure that it's not, you don't just have puzzle pieces, but you have the right puzzle pieces to complete your, so if we look at like physical health, um, not just having food, but having actual nutritious food that's not fast food that you have maybe vetted the farm where the the produce and the meat are coming from you're buying local you're buying organic um again on the physical side you're exercising you're taking care of your body and you're doing the right kinds of exercises you know you're you're doing weight bearing exercises that are going to help build not only your bones or your your muscles but your bones as well and prevent osteoporosis and so all of those pieces kind of working together to finish the puzzle that is your overall physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Awesome. So what's something you do consistently for self-care that you enjoy? Uh, My favorite thing in the world is actually taking my dog for a walk every single day. Uh, We actually, we try to go to um, a different park every day. Um, It's really, really hard, but I, I like to get my dog out and active and get into green spaces and um, kind of breathe that fresh air. And I try to make it a point to do that every single day. Um, it's just a great way to not only appreciate the beauty of nature, but to also kind of hit that reset button and get away from the phone for a little bit, get away from the computer, um, get away from the city and the the smog of all the cars driving around and stuff and just be able to uh, breathe in some fresh air and relax, take in the scenery and yeah, just hit that reset button every day. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. And I love that <laughs> park. That's such a cool idea. And dogs are so good for that, to get you out of the house and act. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Highly recommend getting a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today. This has been so much fun to talk with you. And is there any last words of advice or wisdom you have for our listening audience? Again, I just cannot stress the importance of taking advantage of 
the free resource that is a pharmacist. Um, that is the reason that I got into pharmacy. That is why I love being a pharmacist is interacting with people, helping people, educating people. And so I, I, when I tell people to go see their pharmacist and talk to them and they can answer any questions, they're like, I never thought of that. Interesting. And I'm like, it's totally free. Go anytime. <laughs> like, totally. so that's definitely a great uh, resource that everyone should take advantage of for any questions they have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And I'm going to link up all of your information in the show notes so people can feel free to check you out on social media. And I know you guys have a great website where you sell um, all of your products. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Nourish and Shine. I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you'll leave me a review on iTunes so that more people can hear the podcast. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your questions, so please send them my way. Also, you can check out my website. It's amysapola.com. I hope that today's interview provided you with some inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and to live a whole vibrant life. Please join me again next week for another amazing interview. Have a wonderful week. The information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only. It's not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or condition. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your medical provider.